Hello and welcome to the 2nd April podcast of 2012 from Big Finish Productions. I'm Martin Montague and this is Her Majesty Empress Puss, one of my cats. She actually starred in The Reification of Hans Gerber. I'm the assistant director and sound designer on The Adventure of the Perfidious Mariner, due out this month. Now, this Saturday marks the centenary of the Titanic disaster, and this podcast is all about our Sherlock Holmes release, which ties in with that historic event. Mr. J. Bruce Ismay, Mr. Holmes. He is the managing director of the White Star Line. He is the man we have to blame for the sinking of the Titanic. I am being pursued by angry mourners. Mr. Holmes, I am followed by a spectre. Her lips were red, her looks were free, her locks were yellow as gold, her skin was white as leprosy, the nightmare life in death was she, who thicks man's blood with cold. Get down, Watson! The bloodlust is upon her now, and she will not readily be seated. Hello, I'm Nick Briggs, and I play Sherlock Holmes, and I am also the director and producer of The Range. Hello, my name is Richard Earl, and I'm playing Dr. Watson. Do you hear nothing of events? Do you hear nothing of the world? Very little. The world interests me hardly at all now that I have ceased to act in it. This story came about because I was looking for Big Finish to do something about the Titanic, and uh, I had no idea what I wanted it to be. I came upon this notion of asking a writer who I wanted us to work with to uh, pitch something about the Titanic. And I'd just come into contact with Jonathan Barnes, who I met for the second time at one of our at our convention, Big Finish Day, uh, last year. And he came up to me and said, you probably don't remember me. I've sent in some ideas, you know. And I thought, oh, I don't know whether I've got time to, you know. And, uh, and he said, we met when I was 15 at a convention. And this was before I was the voice of the Daleks and stuff. I was just doing sort of fan-related videos and stuff. And I think I was on a stall for BBV, if anyone remembers BBV. And he said to me, I want to be, and when he was 15, he said to me, I want to be a writer. Have you got any advice? And I apparently gave him lots of advice, which is very unlike me. I basically said something that Russell T. Davis actually has ended up saying to lots of people is if you want to be a writer, write, you know, just prove to yourself you can write. If you like it, keep telling stories. It doesn't matter who reads them, if anyone reads them at all. Just practice telling stories, doing a beginning and middle and end, because that's quite an achievement. It's sort of what I did from about the age of five onwards, actually. Anyway, he said to me at Big Finish Day at the convention, he said, I took your advice, and he said, and I am a writer, and here are my books. And I thought, oh, yes, well, you've just gone out and published them yourself. Well, it's terribly patronising of me to think that, I know. but And, of course, they're not there. They're published by HarperCollins, and they've got great reviews from the New York Times on the front and stuff like that. And, he's, and I said, are you making a living out of this? He said, yeah, just about. You know, and I think he teaches writing, and he writes articles for the Times Literary Supplement. And so I started reading. He gave me his books, and I started reading The Somnambulist, uh, which is a fantastic book. Um, and I just thought, you know, just from the first paragraph, you know it's going to be brilliant uh, and that he's a fantastic writer. They're regarded as um, science fiction, aren't they? But I think the, the, the boundary between science fiction and other literature, you don't want to say proper literature because, you know, so many classic novels are science fiction anyway. But uh, the, the, it seems to be blurring more and more 
I mean, the BBC is probably quite has probably had quite a lot to do with that. Uh, Doctor Who has had uh, a lot to do with that. Yeah, uh, y- yes, it's weird, isn't it? We're working for a company that does both Doctor Who's and Sherlock Holmes's. Uh, the one is classic literature, the other one is classic telly, and we're sort of blurring, uh, blurring the boundaries between the two. It's just such class. It's just so beautifully expressed and so intelligent, you know. And also, of course, reading the book, you can tell he's a massive fan of Doctor Who. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I, I've got him commissioned to do a, a single episode in one of our sort of four-episode anthology Doctor Who releases. But then I thought, oh, the Titanic. Now, Jonathan is an intelligent person who, even if he doesn't know about the Titanic, he'd probably be prepared to do some research. So I asked him to pitch something about the Titanic. And he said, I said, do you know anything about the Titanic? And he said, I, I just happened to have reviewed a book for the Times Literary, Literary Supplement all about J. Bruce Ismay, the owner of the White Star, the chairman of the White Star Line. You know, and the Titanic was a White Star ship. You know who this is? Of course you do. Your guest is the most infamous brute in England. The most wretched, the most despised blackguard in the whole of Christendom. In that case, I think it would be best were we to decline politely to see him. Don't you agree? Your temper being what it is. Martha, show him through. I would very much like to meet the gentleman. I have some questions of a personal nature to put to him. He said, how about... Sherlock Holmes and the Titanic and I thought you know he knows how to <laughs> get a commission from me because he's, he's saying let's do something that stars you <laughs> and he sent me a story and it was fantastic he is the fellow who jumped he left the ship to be swallowed up by the Atlantic with one and a half thousand souls upon her deck while he sat shivering in a life raft taking the place of a woman or a child you know all, all this stuff to do with the Titanic the centenary the Titanic going down this year it's um it's very moving. It's very witty and very intelligent. Yeah, it's a brilliant idea. And tastefully done as well, because even though it's a century ago, yeah. people still feel very strongly about Titanic. They do, and, they, and there's a lot of, uh, still a lot of uh, misinformation, isn't there? Misconceptions, uh, misunderstandings about what happened. Uh, the James Cameron uh, film, I'm, I'm not sure to what extent it, it cleared up those uh, particular... Uh, disagreements that historians still have about exactly what happened. I felt it was my duty to go down with the ship like the captain and Mr. Andrews, yet I was pushed overboard by one of the officers. A life raft was being lowered and there was space still within, and so I fell to safety. You fell to safety? That is so. Hello, I'm Jonathan Barnes and I wrote The Adventure of the Perfidious Mariner. Now, this must have been an ideal assignment for you because you, uh, you're a Holmes buff and you know a lot about the Titanic too. I'm certainly a big Holmes buff. Um, the Titanic thing, I mean, the happy coincidence was I just reviewed a book about J. Bruce Ismay for the Times Literary Supplement, um, literally a couple of weeks before I got the email from Nick. Um, and when I was reading the book, I thought there's a real story in this in this guy. There really is a potential for a, a kind of fictional treatment of um, J. Bruce Ismay. Um, so, yes, it was an ideal marrying of um, circumstances. Is it true what they say? that you encouraged Captain Smith to go faster. Were you greedy for that record, sir? I thank you, Doctor, for the robust candour of your question. What you suggest, however, is quite untrue, a piece of spite. And as a writer coming in today, what's it like seeing your work being performed by the actors? Well, it's fascinating. I've been a big Finnish fan since um, The Sirens of Time. So to um, be here in the studio seeing how it happens, um, yeah, there's some um, element of demystification, I think, 
attendant on that. But it is very, very interesting to see the to see the process, to see the way the booths work, to see in a way how little interaction there is between the actors. You mean physical interaction? That's right. Yes, and, and the fact that the actors actually don't even aren't in each other's eye lines at all is very interesting. Um, but I think the process is remarkably swift, um, remarkably efficient. Um, that, you know, there's no messing around, and the whole thing is a well-oiled machine, to use a cliché. You must forgive me, sir, but there's another gentleman here to see you. Another gentleman? This house, for so long a refuge and a sanctuary from the clamour of the world, seems now to have become a busy... <laughs> <laughs> Taxi for Mr Holmes. <laughs> Shall we start again? Please. And from the point of view of you've written a line, the actor interprets it. Have you been sitting there at any point and they go, well, actually, I didn't mean it the way that it's just been read out? Of course, that's um, that's part and parcel of it. And in the past, when I've written drama, I've tended to direct it myself. So I've been able to sort of steer it at least mostly in the direction of my own vision. Um, but today, I'm obviously, I'm required to be um, um, invisible, really, and, and sit quietly. Although I've been able, on hand for a couple of... Um, couple of notes when asked. Good. Oh, yeah, jolly good. Off you go. You must be... Sorry. Oh, God. Have <laughs> <laughs> we started? <laughs> it's fascinating to, to hear them interpret lines, particularly lines which you imagine are going to be said one way and they're said in a different way, which is just as valid, if not actually better, and casts fresh light on the characters. A sensible question, just a one, I promise yeah, you. Yeah. Uh, uh, Richard, on 35, yeah. uh, your, your line, are you sure you want me to stay, Holmes? Yeah. Um, I'm just wondering, is it, are you sure you want me to stay, Holmes, or yeah. are you sure you want me to stay, Holmes? Uh, yes. I like want better because it's not so on the nose. They also, it's not like, surely, but you hate me. Yeah. <laughs> I found it very interesting going through the scenes and seeing how the actors would initially interpret the words and hearing different takes and different styles of takes and how that can throw a scene in a whole different light. To give you an example, here's one of the early scenes with Dr Watson in and two very different takes on the same dialogue. Wherever Martha have got to, she is usually commendably swift in these matters. Holmes! In all the years of our association, I have asked so very little of you. Yet you could not bring yourself to leave this wretched bolt hole and come up to the city. Everyone is capable of an error of judgment. All of us are fallible and weak, even you. In this scene, Watson is angry. He's also very upset. But how in control is he of his own emotions? Here's an alternative take of the same scene. Everyone is capable of an error of judgment. All of us are fallible and weak, even you. And because of a mistake, because of one mistake, however costly you considered it to be, you leave London in high dudgeon, bury yourself down here, allow your talent to turn to rust, and abandon all that used to give meaning and purpose to your life. And, of course, to find out which take we actually went for, you'll just have to listen to the play. I must say, this case seems rather to have revivified you. You seem more like your old self. You also, Watson. And it's a terrific, I mean, it's a wonderful, wonderful cast. Nick and Richard, obviously, as Holmes and Watson, I've enjoyed through the previous um, CD releases. Holmes? What the devil do you think you're doing, man? 
Poor Mrs. Hudson is beside herself. Stop torturing that damn instrument for a moment, will you? And listen to an old friend. Ah, Watson. Yes, I was rather expecting you. You know, I love the sort of quite traditional portraits of Holmes and Watson. I mean, at the moment we're living in an age of kind of revisionist Holmeses, really. Uh, we've got Robert Downey Jr. in, this, in the cinema playing him as a kind of um, uh, sort of street-fighting brawler. Um, you've got Benedict Cumberbatch on television um, playing him as this very autistic, um, emotionally cold modern-day character. I mean, even the great screen homes before this current batch, you know, Jeremy Brett, in a way, is quite a revisionist Holmes. He's a kind of manic-depressive Holmes. I think the way that Nick and Richard play it owes something more to, you know, much earlier interpretation, you know, Rathbone and Bruce. And they're obviously Richard is much less of a bumbler than Bruce ever was. Herring after him, I skidded on the shards of glass and nearly went down. But caught myself on the doorframe, flinging myself out into the yard behind my quarry. I caught sight of him, hauling himself up and over the rear wall, and braced myself, raising my revolver, and squeezing off a shot. Even um, Gilgan Richardson, who played it on the radio, there's a certain sort of plummy, enjoyable theatricality that they bring to their parts. The past four months of my life have been notably difficult ones. I have, as I have said, faced inquisitions both in New York, where I was questioned quite mercilessly by Senator Smith, and in London, where Sir Rufus did the same. The other cast members are... Brilliant. I mean, it's a huge thrill to have Michael Maloney cast as um, Ismay, who's a wonderful actor I've admired for um, for many years, particularly with his work with um, Kenneth Branagh. Um, and he's absolutely superb in the role. During that time, I have found myself to be an object of public ridicule and disdain to a degree which I consider to have been horribly unfair. Michael Maloney is one of my most favourite actors on radio, TV and film. I think he just has a such a wonderful voice and pitch perfect. He has the words in front of him and he just knows exactly how to present them, if you like. He gets the meaning straight away. So to have the opportunity to direct him in the studio was uh, was an absolute joy for me. Okay. Michael, air over to you, sir. Thank you. Mr. Holmes, what are you doing out here at... Yes, he has done some work with Big Finish. In fact, you know, some of the work he did with me before <laughs> in Doctor Who, he was so brilliant. The alien he was playing, uh, sort of hit, that alien's voice got used by another race of aliens who just use other people's voices to speak. So these aliens, the Virons, were due to come back a couple of stories later and they were just going to use some other person's voice because that's what they did. They didn't have their own voices. But Michael was such fun to work with and so lovely to have around and so brilliant. That I said, uh, do you fancy coming back in a couple of weeks? Um, I've got another one with the virus in, and I'll change the script so that they speak like you. And so and we did that. Is this the outcome you wished for, Charlotte? Charlotte? I think it was for the best. And what do you wish for now? Regrettably, there's been a long period where we haven't employed him, and, you know, it's just one of those things you stop and you think, oh, why haven't we had Michael Maloney in again? Um... So when Jonathan had written this, he said to me, uh, do, you, do you know, it's probably not for me to say, but uh, uh, I think Michael Maloney would be really brilliant as J. Bruce Ismay. That's who I was imagining. And I said, oh, God, well, I'll, we'll get him then. You know, I said, we've worked with him. So he was quite taken aback at that. So was Richard Earle, actually, when I told him Michael Maloney was going to be in it. He was like, Are you serious? So, yeah, that was a lovely solution. I love it when people, you know, 
to, because when it comes to casting, I just, as I've said many times before, I just forget every actor I've ever known or seen. And it's, it's just my mind goes blank, you know. It's like someone saying, think of a number, and you can't think of any numbers at all. Uh, so that was a great suggestion, and I was really pleased that Michael was available to do it. it was He's lovely just a great see. actor. He it? is brilliant, and it was lovely to see him again as well. Yeah. I'm afraid my stomach might have been rumbling Mine's... over to punish you, to drive you mad. Might have been having a little post Mine was prandial. rumbling as well, so I don't yeah. know. I must confess I didn't, I didn't notice. Oh, good, OK. Um, With a bit of sea noise behind it, it should be OK. Excellent. Yeah, it should be lovely. You've got a seagull over it. Seagull! <laughs> the female roles are all performed by Tracy Childs, who also is no stranger to Big Finish. That's right. Well, Tracy had uh, recently been in another Big Finish, doing a, a Doctor Who thing, Unit Dominion, playing a returning character called Klein. And uh, as I was reading it, I was thinking, uh, I was focused more on the multi-voice aspect of it. And then I realised, oh, she only has to be, the, the actress only has to play two parts in this. This is Inspector Newman, Mr. Holmes. Will you be requiring more sandwiches? Why not? It seems as though we're required to feed half of Sussex today. Uh, no victuals for me, thank you, sir. I come not to be a nuisance. And you'll forgive me, I hope, for intruding like this. And, of course, we've got uh, Toby Longworth in. He's a bit of a big Finnish stalwart. He's playing absolutely everyone else. Lock your doors and windows tonight, Squire. You keep your children safe. You tuck a knife beneath your pillow. Something awful's coming down among us. Something wicked squatting in our midst. The way these these homes is are budgeted, you know, we do have we do bring in people to play everyone else, and in previous productions, it's been people like uh, Beth Chalmers or um, John uh, Banks, John Banks, um, Charlie Norfolk. We had her in, uh, and so it occurred to me that you know, uh, John Banks, brilliant though he is, well, I think we'd exhausted all his homes related voices. Although we must get get him back in, because he's brilliant and lovely. And, of course, if Lestrade comes back in, he'll be playing Lestrade anyway. That you, Lestrade? Yes, Mr Holmes. I took the job myself. It's good to see you back in London, sir. I think you want a little unofficial help. Three undetected murders in one year won't do, Lestrade. And the same thing had happened to Toby years ago. We used him a lot on Big Finish. We employed him a lot. And I think you know it got to a point where, after being sort of so bowled over by hearing all his different voices and not recognising him in different parts you slowly get to recognise an actor no matter how dexterous they are with their voice um, so uh, and I thought well hold on that was years ago though I think it's time for Toby Longworth to come back and of course he is brilliant and you know and actors like that who do all these different voices they just have the courage to commit to a particular type of voice and, and to see it through and I, I admire that quality greatly and He's done a fantastic job today and is a hilarious raconteur to have around the studio too. <laughs> now, I think we have seen enough one day. A black and miserable business indeed. Now, Watson, would you mind collecting Mr Ismay while I put a few questions of a technical... Oh, oh telephone call for you, sir. <laughs> I'm doing a selection of roles, uh, none of the names of which I can seem to remember, but my name is Toby Longworth and I'm playing an American senator and I'm playing a station master and I'm playing a German and I'm playing a copper. Tell me, Inspector, was the body of this unfortunate lad discovered in a pool of water? Was there seaweed wrapped in some unlikely manner about a portion of his form? How do you know these things, sir? You wish me to investigate? I do. The great thing about it is they're all very different from each other. That's quite nice. But they're also, um, uh, I would say, icons. That maybe is a bit 
but they're, 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 it's a bit stereotypical. I mean, the, the prosecuting senator, I mean, the image I've got in my mind is um, the McCarthy trials and uh, or the McCarthy witch hunts, you know. And it, that's the sort of senator I'm trying to be. And it is it is a, an inquiry in the same kind of sense. Uh, inquiry? Inquiry. In the same kind of sense. So that's the, that's the kind of uh, touchstone I had for that. Look, unless you are sick, Mr. Ismay, I would urge you to keep to the matter in hand. Did you not see her, Senator? See who? The pale woman in the shadows. Did you not see her eyes, her hair, her graveyard shroud? Mr. Ismay, there, there is no such person here, sir. No? I, I give you my word. And the station master is a kind of classic character. And in my mind's eye, I'm doing uh, something from... Um, it, I think I think it's from like a Richard Hanney story, you know, like uh, the Thirty Nine Steps or something. Oh my lord! Oh, horrible! Horrible! Murder! Murder! That's that character, and um, I very rarely get a chance to play with my own voice because I I often am characterising somebody quite quite extreme. So I thought with the the uh, the policeman, it said he has a very you know, it, it, Holmes is able to work out where he's from, from his accent, but it's very well concealed because Holmes is a genius. So I thought that's quite an interesting brief. So I've ended up with sort of my own voice as a result. I did wonder how you were going to do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's. I think the great thing is the less obvious the, uh, the, the, the tells, the more of a genius Holmes is, I think. <laughs> you, you can consider me impressed, sir. Well, you're right, of course, in every particular... Now, I've not reached the part yet where you're playing the German character. How accented are you planning on playing it? I think you're going to a very long way. I mean, I've always enjoyed... The, I've, a few years ago, I did uh, Kolditz, uh, Dr. Who and Kolditz, and I played the um, the good German, you know, the character who is always... You know, if things had been very different, we could have been friends, I think. And I've always enjoyed those. I mean, the, the I think it was Hugh... Laurie with apologies for the inconvenience in Blackadder. And I have always liked the idea that... Yeah, rather than so disfigured, German guy. You do somebody who's actually learned how to speak English quite well. But I think we'll probably find them very middle ground. Apologies for the inconvenience. Mr. J. Bruce Ismay, Mr. Holmes. Thank you, Martha. I am indebted to you, Mr. Holmes, for agreeing to see me. Mr. Ismay. Oh, but I... I'm gratified by your hospitality. Hello, this is Tracy Childs. My name's Michael Maloney. So I've got to ask, are either of you Holmes fans? Are you Holmes... Is it Holmesians? Um, I, I wouldn't <laughs> say I'm a, a Holmes fanatic, but you can't avoid uh, being some sort of um, a follower of, of Sherlock Holmes stories. They're, they're so woven into our psyche and our culture, rather like Shakespeare is, I suppose. Um, but, uh, uh, but, you know, so I have seen three different versions of The Hounds of Baskervilles. I have uh, recorded voiceover documents about Sherlock Holmes. I've I've been in a Sherlock Holmes drama, etc., etc. It's it's unavoidable, really, as an actor, especially. Absolutely, and watching great actors play Holmes through the years as well. Um, you know, from seeing Jeremy Brett, from seeing Nigel Stock be Watson, from you know yes. Benedict Cumberpatch and Martin Freeman. Now, I mean, you know, it's fabulous that a lot of great actors grab those roles and just play them to the hilt because. 
what a treat for actors. And of course, uh, not your first delving into the roles of Holmes. You're in the Baker Street Irregulars. The Baker Street Irregulars, yes, I was. And, uh, and indeed, I did uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes dramas for a producer called Glyn Dearman at BBC Drama, uh, but that's 25 to 30 years ago. Uh, yes, the Baker Street Irregulars, of course, refers to the uh, gang of street kids that uh, Sherlock Holmes used to employ to do some of his more sort of illicit work, like shinning down drain pipes or rather um, fireplaces and chimneys. To, uh, to get objects from people's houses that he could then work into his body of evidence, etc., etc. Yeah, I've always been a Holmes fan. Um, I, I, it's funny, I've, my friend Ralph and I are different on this one topic. I very much enjoy, um, <clears throat> well, I suppose, non-canon Holmes. I like things by uh, people other than uh, Conan Doyle because it's nice to see how different, um, different writers uh, deal with it. And sometimes it's successful and sometimes it isn't. I mean, I, I really love the private life of Sherlock Holmes. And I love the way that these stories have been bringing to, to life uh, and, and not trying to not to, uh, trying to rewrite uh, Holmes, but to tell a different part of his life, really. I think that's that's my particular thing. So how does it feel today recording The Perfidious Mariner? Um, for want of a better expression, does it feel like something that could pass as authentic Conan Doyle? Yeah, it feels more like it's part of the. Do- it feels like it's 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 had Conan Doyle told us a little later, uh, left uh, you know taking taking it on to uh, him being a bit older. You wish me to come with you to the station and examine the body? I was hoping that you would say so, sir. Even though you know that I have turned my back upon criminology, that I have devoted myself to the bees and to the subtle beauty of the hive. Please, Mr. Holmes. Now, you've both done your fair share of uh, costume dramas, for want of a better way of describing it, as well as your, your science fiction. Do you have a, a preference of genre? Anything that d- that demands that I have to wear facial hair uh, <laughs> and stiff collars uh, will go will come a really distant second to anything <laughs> anything else I could possibly do. I don't mind the costumes. I've never done big prosthetics work, perhaps in science fiction. That might be quite fun once or twice. But basically, anything that you have to stick on my face, I'm out the door. I can't afford to do that, so I actually will be there and enjoy it very much. Uh, but uh, but uh, you know, it's contemporary work, really anything contemporary and science fiction surely be contemporary without facial hair yes but the prosthetics can take even longer mm. and be stuck to your face that's hours in makeup if mm. you're not yeah. careful yes. um, we g- it's terrible you know you're getting older when actually you worry about your costume it was the thing I loved about the Doctor Who I did oh Roman lovely gladiator sandals mm. and a loose dress fantastic <laughs> thank you I spent so many years in corsets and I love them and they make you feel incredibly elegant and wonderful but dear God, they're painful. So, uh, yes, contemporary, please. Keep me comfortable. Thank you. And you'll be relieved to hear there's no additional facial hair and no prosthetics in the adventure of the Pavidius Mariner. Well, apart from here. It has been some years since I have been confronted by modernity in quite so relentless a form. I understand, sir. Do you, Inspector? Sorry, I keep brushing my... It's a noise. What is that brush? What is it? It's my beard against my (laughs) collar. I've I've done that when I've had a beard. It's terrible, isn't it? It's like you've got a cat you're stroking. (laughs) A shaved one. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why that's funny, but it is, isn't it? I don't know. I don't even know why it came out of my mouth. Right, I'll go from thank you, Watson. All right, that's it. (laughs) 
The Adventure of the Perfidious Mariner is out this month, and if you've not ordered it yet, why not? It's very good. And at eight ninety nine for a CD and seven ninety nine for a download, it's a bargain. And if you're a Holmes buff or Holmesian, which I was incapable of saying earlier, then you might like to know that this story sits between the Conan Doyle tales and. And even if that means nothing to you, the Perfidious Mariner is still easily accessible. And there's more Sherlock Holmes to come. A third series has been commissioned. A box set of four brand new dramas is on the way, as is a collection of dramatic readings of Arthur Conan Doyle short stories. Now, before I go, don't forget this month's competition to win all of April's releases from Big Finish. Just answer this simple question. Which two Conan Doyle Sherlock Holmes stories is the adventure of the perfidious mariner set between? Email your answers to podcast at bigfinish.com by the end of the month. Next week's podcast is a preview of Energy of the Daleks, which I know Nick said would be this week. But he's a bit of a monkey. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, The Fourth Doctor Adventures. Okay, sir. Our readings show you are now in the airlock. Please confirm. Energy of the Daleks. Arrest. The beginning of cultural collapse. And it's about to get worse thanks to your friend Damien Stevens. Chronon particles detected! What are you up to, you Daleks? What is it that you hope to achieve? Answer the question! Answer! 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 You will not force me to speak! How many of you inside that thing then? Just me and the Doctor. Doctor? Hello, yes, that's me. How are you feeling? Subscribers get more at bigfinish.com.